We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, reading from verse 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is which was written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may kill him, um, that I too may come and worship him. I think that was his intention. After listening to the king, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Dwight Moody, an author, once said that the Bible was not given to us for our information, but rather for our transformation. And as such, we will be looking at this passage before us today, primarily to determine what it is that God might be wanting to transform in our own lives. As interesting as it is today to talk about the Magi and maybe how many there were, what the importance of their gifts were, where the star came from, what the name of that star was, and even how it showed them the exact location of the house that Jesus was in. We're looking today rather for how God wants to transform our lives today in 2018 through this passage. So these magi, these wise men, they came from a land that was east of Judah, which tells us really significantly today that they weren't Jews. This was the very first sign that God was inviting people who were not from the Jewish tradition to come and experience and meet Jesus. Already when Jesus was born, the King of the Jews, the promised Messiah of their nation, he was proclaiming the universal kingship of Christ. So no matter what our backgrounds either, he invites all of us to come and worship him today. In the church's calendar, today is known as Epiphany Sunday. This narrative that I've just read is the Epiphany. So looking up in the dictionary, Epiphany means awakening, or it means revelation. And I guess in our lingo to do it today, it would be that aha moment. We'd been in the UK as a family for a few months, and um, our twin four-year-old girls were invited to a play date at one of the girls from the local nursery school. And the mom had said to me, are you okay if they have tea? I said, sure. 
I was quite surprised that the beverage of choice for the four-year-old play date was going to be tea, but I didn't want to break relations already, so I said yes, happily. Um, so they went off, and I picked them up at 5.30, and been slaving at the stove all afternoon, making them a gourmet dinner. It was probably mac and cheese. And they came over, and they sat at the dining table, and I put a plate of... Um, mac and cheese in front of them, and they didn't want to eat it. They didn't touch it. And I said, what, what is this? This is your favorite meal. They said, Mom, we've just had lasagna at our friend's house. And then it hit me. Tea in the UK often, but not always, means dinner. And every time I go to a restaurant and I ask for tea, I keep hoping that they'll bring me a plate of lasagna as well. But it, <laughs> it doesn't happen. It's not always the case. But this was my aha moment. This was a revelation to me about the way of the English culture. The arrival of the Messiah was revealed to the Magi, and it was revealed to the Jews. And my biggest personal challenge as we sit here with this passage today is how do I make myself available to receive an epiphany from God, for him to enlighten me? Am I ready to receive and then act in faith upon whatever it is he is leading me to? Firstly, what I've learned from these guys is that I believe if I want to receive anything, whether it's food in my kitchen, whether it's um, books on my bookshelf, whether it's a healthier body or a better relationship, I have to make space in my life for that. As a youth, I really struggled with ways to, to fill my days. Um, but now as an adult, I, I struggle to find ways to make space in my days, to create margins for what I refer to as God interruptions. Shamefully, the new vogue work of today's culture is busy. And if we're really wanting to impress someone, we'll say crazy busy. A really good day is a day where I haven't even had a chance to eat lunch, let alone use the toilet. That's a good day. Shame on us. No wonder so many of us start the year already bursting at the seams, having mental breakdowns, having physical breakdowns. But as we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, who was so limited here on this earth, his time, we see that so many of his life-altering altercations uh, encounters were actually interruptions. He was teaching and the paralytic was lowered down through the roof. Or he was walking to go and meet with other people and the bleeding woman desperately reached out and grabbed his garment. She interrupted him. And these are the stories we know and that have challenged us and changed our lives. And if he made space in his very limited time here on earth, why can't we make margins in our lives for these God interruptions too? Philip Yancey refers the, calls them God incidences. These are the coincidences that God regularly brings across our paths if we are alert, if we have space, and if we are aware of them. There's a, a songwriter called Robbie C. that sings a song called Slow Me Down. And as I pray for myself and as I pray for you today um, into 2018, uh, let's just listen to the first three verses of the song and let this prayer wash over us before we carry on. Thanks. Thank you. As a culture, we have a lot to learn about resting in God, about slowing down to hear what Robbie says is his sound or his voice or his prompting. 
Recently, I was on a long-haul flight back from South Africa, and I really had the most unnerving travel companion I've ever sat next to in my life. She was a young woman, probably in her early 20s, and she was already in her seat when I got to my seat. Um, she had her hands folded in her lap, and she was just calmly sitting still. So I smiled at her, and I proceeded to pull out my hand luggage with all of my in-flight essentials um, that I was desperately in need of for my trip. So I open up my bag, and in it I have, and you, know, you have that tiny little space at the back of your seat for all of the stuff to go in, because the lady wants it at the top there. So I start pulling these things out. So I've got a very intentional intellectual book, How Will You Measure Your Life, that I was going to um, just edify my... Um, IQ a little bit there, and then I was going to, I had my Bible with me, and I had a Bible study that I needed to do a couple of catch-up sessions on, so I was going to read that in the second hour, and then I had the uh, 2018 um, How to Host um, at Church Best Practices document that I was going to read through to, to try and encourage the hosting team, and then I had my laptop because I had some personal admin for home that I just wanted to get ahead of before I got home, and I'd be the, the best wife and mother on the planet when I got home. And then I had my headphones because, because I was going to catch up on all the in-flight entertainment that they give you on those long-distance trips. And then, oh, then I, had, then I had food because they don't feed us enough on the plane. So I had some snacks that I was ready for. And then I had my phone because until the air hostess came down and said to us, turn off your phones, I was going to be on Facebook making sure I was up to date on all the important things in the world. And then as soon as the wheels touched down, I was going to put it back on again and find out what I'd missed in the last 10 hours. So I was set for this flight. <clears throat> and my travel companion, um, once I was settled, I looked at her. She clung to nothing. She didn't have a phone. She didn't have a book. She didn't have headphones. She didn't have a magazine. She didn't have food. She didn't have a laptop or a Kindle or a tablet of any kind. My goodness, she wasn't even reading the in-flight magazine or the safety card. She wasn't scared. She wasn't reading the safety card. She had nothing. For the first three hours of this flight, this woman had nothing. It freaked me out. <laughs> and as I've thought about it, I've realized that the really unsettling thing for me was that everybody around me was also engaged in something continually. No one just sits. As we look around, even on the tubes on our commute to work, folks are either engaging with somebody else, having a conversation, or they're on their phone, or some other source of entertainment, or in the case of parents of toddlers, they might be catching a few, a few Zs. But what, when last did you ever see somebody just sitting still? And I realized then that I need to be okay to find a way of combining being with the spiritual discipline of actively pursuing God's presence. And I think that God would share an epiphany with us today, with somebody who was praying, with somebody who was reading the Bible, with somebody who was talking to and engaging with other believers, and with somebody who was spending intentional time in meditative contemplation. God bless you. The wise men were actively watching the skies when they noticed that new star appear. They weren't staring blindly into space. They were active, but they were not busy. And I think this girl might have been the other extreme. She was passive and she was disengaged. Uh, so possibly also unable to be hearing from God. We need to be actively waiting. 
Secondly, this passage has encouraged me to allow God to be commander-in-chief of this life I call mine. As we follow the Magi's movements in these verses, we see that they started out really, really purposefully. Somehow they had both the clear conviction and the necessary courage to hunt down the star, going into new lands, which was a great investment of their time and of their resources. They were certain, they were focused, they were determined, they were purposeful, and they had been led and they were obediently following. A compass had pointed the way and they were going to follow, and their commander-in-chief had given them marching orders, and they were going to set out and follow them. When they got to Judea, which was the the seat of royalty, they began asking, where is this new king? We read in verse 3 that when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. And I don't know about you, but I think most families and officers um, have somebody who is part of that culture who, um, when everybody is happy, when they are happy, everybody can be happy. But when they're miserable and in despair, pretty much the tone of the office or the home is misery and despair. And until that person is at rest, then everybody else is just walking around on eggshells for a little bit. And I feel like King Herod was that kind of personality too. He had just been informed that his possible successor had been born, and he was feeling the threat of that. So what did he do? He badgered all of the teachers of the law and the chief priests to find out how likely this threat was to his throne. The whole of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. And as we go on to see later in the chapter, so great was his fear of being usurped that he had all of the baby boys under the age of two killed. How very, very devastating. Pastor pastor and author Max Licardo tells of a story when he took his family to the bicycle shop because his little five-year-old daughter, Jenna, was now ready for a big girl bike. And Andrea, who was three, had come along to the bicycle store and looking at her sister picking out this big girl bike, she decided that she also wanted a big girl bike. And Max explained to her that she was too young, that she was still having trouble with the tricycle that she was on, and she was really still just a bit too small for a two-wheeler bike. No luck, she still wanted a bike. So the father explained that when she was a bit older, she would get a bike too, and she just stared at him. And he tried to tell her that a big girl bike would probably bring her more harm than good at the stage, more pain than pleasure, more scrapes than thrills. She turned her head and ignored him. Finally, Max sighed. And leaning down, he said to her, do you know daddy knows best? Do you know what her response was? She actually screamed it loud enough for the whole of the store to hear. Then I want a new daddy. <laughs> now, wonder have I ever wanted a new daddy? Have I ever wanted to send my toddler off to boarding school until she's 15 or 19 or married? Have I ever wanted a new boss or a new church or a new spouse or a new God? Sometimes disappointment and fear and anger and impatience occur when our hopes and our expectations are not being met in the ways that we think they should be met. 
and we decide we need a change in command. When we get frustrated with the waiting, when we ask and there's no answer, when we don't like the direction that we feel God is leading us in, when we feel like we might be losing power over the little kingdom or the great kingdom that we have, we too, like Herod, often opt for a change in command. His determination to have himself instead of Jesus on the throne of Judea led to the certain distraction of many, many innocent people. And I wonder how often in my impatience for the next step or as my frustration in the waiting and my desperation to remain in control of the things that I can't control, do I replace God with myself as commander-in-chief of my life in whatever areas I have responsibility for? And to what expense in the long term? He promises that his way is good, that he will provide just enough light for the next step. Can we be okay in trusting that that will be enough? The last lesson that I've learned from these Magi today is that I need to be courageous to take the next step of obedience. In verse 12, we read that these Magi were warned in a dream to not go back to Herod and report on where Christ was, but rather to return to their country via another route. Now, this would have been a really interesting conversation to have been privy to between the Magi. Which Magi had the dream? How obliging were the other Magi that, yeah, maybe we shouldn't go back to see the king and have tea with him and tell him about what we found? How did he convince him them that they should actually defy the king, this powerful king who had the power to kill and clearly no compassion? Politically, how smart was this decision? To disobey his orders was certain political suicide, if not a death threat to their own lives. But they decided to trust the one who had called them to worship the universal king. And what courage that must have taken on their part. In our own lives, even if we've taken the controls back from God, either out of impatience or dissatisfaction or fear, we can give them back to him and reinstate him as commander of chief in our lives and ask him for the courage to step into whatever it is he would have us next do. He is ever ready to forgive. He is slow to anger and he is abounding in love to those who truly repent and seek him. Following God's guidance will always lead us to a safer, safer place than our own human decisions will. And as we look into this new year, 2018, and we ask to receive from him, I'd love to leave the promise of Christ with you that says in Matthew 7, 7, all who ask will receive, all who seek will find, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. When we ask for him to speak to us, do we make space? Do we make margins in our busy lives to receive his word and his truth, and his revelation. When we seek his direction for our steps and our decisions, are we able to wait patiently to find his next prompting, or do we quickly just appoint a new commander-in-chief 
when his timing isn't fast enough or his answer isn't exactly the one we think would be the coolest one for us or when we fear, fear that we're losing power. And when we knock on the door of encountering him and what he has for us next, do we have the courage to step through that door in faith, knowing that he has opened that for us and he goes before us? Faith lies in taking these revealed truths and putting them into action. That's the life that we as followers of Christ are called to.